Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 57. Luke chapter 1 and verse 57. The Bible reads in Luke chapter 1, verse 57, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Fear came on all their neighbors, and all the things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. Lord, I ask, Father, for what I do not deserve, and that is the ability, Lord, to speak the truth in such a way to penetrate hearts. I do thank you for this privilege. I pray only the truth will be spoken here. And I pray, Father, that you would bless us, Lord, edify us, mold us, Lord, and make us light in a very dark world. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Years ago, I attended, I went went to a church downtown where a friend of mine was preaching. It was a very small church started by a woman. Um, And so I sat through the service and the preaching was from the word of God. It was a good message. But when I got up and we began to leave, this woman who I don't know how to say maybe ran the church, it was her church, she came up to me and she took my hand and said, you have, there's a baby in your life. I'm like, no, I don't think so. She goes, think about it, there's a baby. I'm like, well, yeah, my niece is pregnant. Yeah, there's a baby in your life. I'm like, okay. And then she said, you're gonna receive a big check, a really big check. I am still waiting for that check, by the way, after these many years. Many people claim to speak for God, and men and women are to speak 
before God, but the question is, is how do we know it's really him speaking? And I believe in this passage, we see, we see principles that will show us when God speaks. The Bible in Psalm 50 says this in verse 1, The Mighty One, God Yahweh, speaks and summons the earth from its rising of the sun till its setting. And Psalm 19.1 says this, Psalm of David, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I don't know, I was on the driving in my neighborhood Thursday night, and I literally had to stop because the sky, the evening sky was just beautiful. It was red and gray, and God's handiwork was on display. I, I stopped and took a picture. I have the picture. It was beautiful. God speaks through creation. He does speak through creation. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just speak to Christians through creation. He speaks to the whole world, even the lost. In Romans 1.19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. It is clear that there is a creator. And I know there are people that stand up, oh, just countless people and say, if there was evidence, I would believe. And that is just a foolish statement. It is clear that there is a creator. All you have to do is look at, look at the heavens. You look at... You look at creation, you look at trees and puppies and kittens, and you, you look at the fish and just all of creation. You look at our bodies and the DNA, which is code inside our bodies. It is clear that there is a creator, no doubt about it. But that's not the only way God speaks. God speaks through revelation. Praise God that he has. We learn a lot about God and history through revelation. So in this passage, I see three things, and I'm uh, the passage, I will actually go to the end of the chapter. I only read the first half for brevity's sake. But this passage, I, I want to show you three principles that I believe will help us ascertain is God speaking is God speaking the first principle is the witness of God the witness of God now the Bible says a lot about witnesses and as a matter of fact it talks about human witnesses uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6 it says on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses the one who is to die shall be put to death a person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Why is that? Because men will lie, right? <laughs> there could be a false witness. And as a matter of fact, in uh, chapter 19, uh, he reiterates this in verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime 
or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So reiteration. As a matter of fact, that goes on, that passage goes on to say that if a witness, a malicious witness comes up and gives false testimony and, uh, and they find out about it, that whatever that whatever that witness would have caused to be done to this person shall happen to him. Even in church discipline, we see this principle of witnesses. Matthew chapter 18, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's Matthew 8, 15, 8, 18, 15, that is. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But then it says this in verse 16. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be as to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So throughout the New Testament, this principle is talked about, human witnesses. In 2 Corinthians 13.1, Paul, writing to the Corinth church at Corinth, says, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, even the elders can have charges brought up against them, but he says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. These are human witnesses. We need two or three because humans are not reliable. But then there's the divine witness. And we see the divine witness throughout Scripture as well. And we can start in the Old Testament. And we'll start in Exodus chapter 4 at the burning bush. Where Paul, oh Paul, <laughs> where God is going to tell Moses that he wants him to go to the children of Israel who are enslaved in Egypt. And Moses is resisting. And Moses says to him, look, when I went, in verse, uh, verse 1 he says, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then Yahweh said to him, verse 2, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground, and it became a serpent. And here, this is where Moses shows a lot of common sense, and he ran from it, right? Which is common sense. That's what I would do. But then the Lord said, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And now here's Moses' great faith in God. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became his staff that they may believe that I, that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. That's what he's going to do. And again the Lord said to him, put in your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak and he took it out and it was leprous. You know the story. 
And then God told him to put it back in his cloak, and he put it back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the flesh, uh, the rest of his flesh. And then in verse 8, we read, if, if they will not believe you, God said, <clears throat> or listen to the first sign, that they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So what was God doing? God was bearing witness that Moses was speaking for him. We see this in other places in the Old Testament. We see it with the prophet Elijah when he goes to the widow who's picking up sticks in 1 Kings chapter 17. And he says, uh, he says, go and make me a cake to shorten it. Make me a cake. And she says, I'm about to go in. I was just about to go in. I got just a little bit of, of, of grain and a little bit of oil. And I was just about to go uh, make a cake for me and my boy and we were going to eat it and we were going to die because there was a famine in the land and this is all we have and Elijah says well if you'll do what I say God says that the jar, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth and so she went and did what Elijah said and sure enough she and her household and Elijah ate for many days. But it wasn't over. If you continue to read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, you'll find out that her son became sick. And she, uh, it looks like he was going to die. It was very se severe, like he had no breath left in him. And Elijah said, what, uh, and she says to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance, she says, and to cause death of my son, she says. She says, but we, we deserve all, all that happens, but are, is that what you're doing? And so Elijah took her son and he went upstairs and, uh, uh, and he laid him on the bed and he cried to Yahweh. And if we continue reading, the Lord healed that child, gave him life again. And the life of the child came to him, it says in verse 22, into him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of Yahweh is in your mouth and that it's truth so here is God bearing witness to Elijah that he is speaking for him even Elijah in 2nd Kings same thing remember when Naaman the commander of the army of the king of Syria was had leprosy and he went into Israel and captured a young girl and brought her back and forced her to serve his wife and the young girl says if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria he'd heal him of his leprosy and then 
Naaman goes to his king, and the king is like, I, let, let's do it. And Naaman ends up going, to make the long story short, to Elijah, knocks on the door. A servant of Elijah comes out and says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Naaman was furious at first, but eventually he relents and goes to the Jordan and gets off his horse and ends surely he took off his armor into the Jordan and dips one two three four five six seven times and when he came up his flesh was like the flesh of a child and here's what Naaman when he returned to Elijah said in Second Kings chapter 5 and verse 15, he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. I know this. So here's God bearing witness to the words of Elijah to go down what he said to do. No one doubted that Elijah was a man of God. Even the, prophet, even the apostles of the New Testament, God bore witness to. Even those prophets... You know, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 1, we are told by the writer of Hebrews that long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in verse 2, he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And in chapter 2, we read this. Therefore, verse 1, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and this is, the, this is when God delivered the law through Moses, it was, del it was delivered by angels, it's, and, it, and it, it proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience re received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was, and it says this, And it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Even, even the apostles were witness god was a witness to these apostles but you know even jesus even jesus had a witness even Je jesus had a witness and that witness was the father in first john 5 9 we read if we receive the testimony of men the testimony of god is greater amen for this testimony this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. And in John chapter 8 and verse 17, Jesus says, In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And then he says, But I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus bears witness because he's God. 
And God is reliable. God is faithful. God is truth. And the Father bears witness. Even uh, at the end of that book in the Gospel of John in chapter 20, in verse 30, we read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Notice he said, did many other signs. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's the divine witness. The divine witness. And that was a long introduction to get back to our text in Luke chapter 1 and verse 57. Because God's a witness to the forerunner of Jesus Christ. In fact, in these, in these few verses, I'll show you three exhibits, if you will. Three pieces of evidence, if you will. In verse 57, here's exhibit one. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. She bore a son. They didn't know what it was until the baby was born, but they did know, actually, because they were told. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 13, when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, when he was doing his priestly duties, the angel said to him in verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. So they were told that there would be a son to be born. There was a son that would be born. And sure enough, there was a son. I... I, I, I'd like to point out that in Luke chapter 1 verse 6 that Elizabeth and Zacharias were called righteous before God. It says, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And it reminds me of James chapter 5 and verse 16. The prayer of the righteous person has great power in its working. So Elizabeth and Zechariah walking before God, righteous before God according to the word, had their prayers answered. That's exhibit one. Exhibit two is in verse 58 of Luke 1, where he says, and uh, where the Bible reads, and her neighbors, that's Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives, heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced. Now, they show great mercy. What is that great mercy that she was shown? What was the mercy? Well, we go back to verse 7, and it says that they had no child for, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So here is God bearing witness. He didn't just pick anybody. He picked someone who has, had been lived a long time, couldn't have a child. They were barren, and they were both old. They were both old. And then she bears a son. So that's exhibit two. And look, look at exhibit three, verse, verse 59. And it says, on the, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they 
would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father. Zechariah, remember, he was, he was made mute, uh, mute in, in the temple uh, when, he, when he didn't believe the angel. Uh, and he was made moot, and, um, and so now he's still there, the way he hasn't spoke yet. And so they make signs to the father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, why did he call him John? Well, it's because the angel said, you're going to have a son, verse 13. Your prayers have been heard. You and your wife will have bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then immediately, verse 64, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to spoke, spoke, and he spoke, that is, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through, the, through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. There's Exhibit 3. <laughs> Not be able to speak for a long time. God opens his mouth, and he's about to speak. He's about to speak God-breathed words, is what he's about to do. And these people are going, oh yeah, these people, clearly, clearly God's in this. So that's the witness of God. The witness of God. Later on, we'll look at, what about us? What do we, can we speak for God? And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to move on to the next principle on this. That is the precision of God. The precision of God. And we see in verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 15, this is not the first time that we've seen this in, in the book of Luke, and we're only in chapter 1. But in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 15, we see that... Um, uh, uh, we see uh, be, them being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, it says. And this is what we're told, that John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And we know that's true because in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in the womb. Baby was filled with the Holy Spirit and leaped in the womb. And then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you could read what she said, but we see this, that now his father is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, and this is what he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's starting praise. He opens his mouth, his tongue is loose, and he begins to praise God. And this is a time for praise. 
But this praise, this isn't about a barren, uh, a barren mother and father having a baby. That's not what this is about. It's not about an old man or an old woman having a baby. It's, it's, it's not about removing the stigma of barrenness. It's not about adding joy to the family. This, he speaks, this joy, this praise is all about covenant fulfillment. This is because it's, rede because it's redemption is coming. The forerunner is going to announce the coming of the Savior who will deliver and rescue Israel and fulfill God's covenants. That's what Zechariah is about to speak of. And there's three covenants that he speaks of in this, in this passage, starting in 69, verse 69. The first covenant he speaks of is the Davidic covenant, where he says, And has raised up a horn of salvation, he says. Raised up a horn of salvation. In Psalm 18, 2, we read, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I will take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, he says. So is this horn, is it a trumpet? No, it's not a horn. It's not a trumpet. This is not a musical instrument he's talking about. This is an animal horn which signifies power to kill. When, when Moses was giving him blessings, he, when he gave the blessing about Joseph's descendants in Deuteronomy 33, 17, he says this, a firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. There are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and there are the thousands of Manasseh. So this, this is talking about a horn of strength. In fact, Jeremiah 50, 34 says, the, Their Redeemer is strong, the Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. So... This horn of salvation that he speaks of, he says when he's raised up a horn of salvation, is, a, is strength. And he says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, he says. In his house of his servant David. In Psalm 132, 17, it says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed, he says. Back in Luke, in verse 70, he says that as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, he says, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, he says. So this is, this is the covenant that God made with David. And we could read about this in 2 Samuel. In fact, there's a number of places that you could read. And I'll just start in Samuel uh, chapter 7. We read here in verse 1, Now when the king lived in his house, 
and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent, he says. Now, what God, David, just to make, I don't want to read all of this, but just to show you, David says, look, I, I live in this nice house of cedar. God lives in a tent. I'm going to build God a house. That's what he says. And Nathan says, repeat, well, Nathan speaking for the Lord says, he says, therefore, the, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, I take, I take you from the pasture and from following your sheep that you should be prince over my people in Israel. I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name in the name of the great ones of the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. A violent men and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly for the time that I appoint judges over all my people Israel he says and I will give you rest from your enemies moreover the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled you will lie down with your fathers I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish your kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne for his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And, when he, and so basically what God is saying here is you, you want to build me a house, I'm not going to let you build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. But he's not talking about a physical house. He's, going to talk, he's talking about descendants is what he's talking about and he was right that his you know Solomon his son would build a temple and it said that he would reign forever but Solomon didn't reign forever the descendant that's really being spoken of here is the Messiah Jesus Christ the Messiah Jesus Christ in fact in 2nd Samuel 23 this is what he says for uh, verse 5, For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made me with me an everlasting covenant, he says. An everlasting covenant. So this is the Davidic covenant that Zechariah is talking about. The Davidic covenant. And in Isaiah 9, in verse 6, we read, this for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder his father shall be called uh, uh, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, it says. So this is the Davidic government, covenant that Zechariah is proclaiming. He knows, he says it's written, and he's saying, my son is going to be the forerunner to announce the fulfillment of that covenant. 
And then Zechariah goes to verse, uh, we see what Zechariah says in verse 72. He moves from the Davidic covenant to the Abrahamic covenant. And look at what he says in verse 72. To show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, an oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Which we should stop there because I want you to understand, under the law, there was always this worry. Am I keeping it? Am I keeping it? And of course they weren't keeping it. Even in the Old Testament, there was mercy because no one can keep the law. And there was always this fear they had. But now, in, 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 in the promised one, they can serve him without fear. And it says, in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. So this is what he swore to his father Abraham. This is what he swore to Abraham, or to Abram, if you will. And we could go back, and I'll just point out the passages that we could go back and look at. I'm not going to read them all. But in, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, God says, I will, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And, I, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's that universal covenant. To, this isn't just Israel. This is to the, to, the, to the world. The blessing that's come from Abraham through the line of David in, fulfilled in Jesus. And John the Baptist is going to declare that. And Zacharias is proclaiming this. And you could read more about the Abrahamic covenant. You could read in Genesis 15, 18, where he promises the land. He says on this day, uh, verse 15, 18, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Je Gergagites, that's a hard word, and the Jebusites. By the way, I don't know, I don't, these people aren't around anymore, but the Israelites are. These people aren't around, but the Israelites are. Because God promised to give them the land. And then you could read in Genesis 17, which I will not read, but read in Genesis 17 more about the Abrahamic covenant and what's promised. But I would like to draw you to Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about Abraham. In verse 17, where he says, By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Remember, Abraham is promised this great nation that's going to come from him. And so he's promised a son. And they're both advanced and aged again, right? So God's barren witness takes barren people 
and gives them a child, and that child, Isaac, grows up, and Abraham loves that child, and then God comes to Abraham and says, okay, now go sacrifice him. And Abraham didn't him and haw. He went up and was ready to plunge the knife in him. Ready to plunge the knife in him. Why? Well, Hebrews 11, 17 tells us, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your, shall your offspring be named. So he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. He was willing to do this because he, okay, I'm going to watch a resurrection here. I'm going to kill him and he's going to raise him from the dead. But what happened? Genesis 22. An angel stopped him. And it says the angel of the Lord called, actually the angel of the Lord stopped him, called to Abraham the seventh time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will bless, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and as your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and your offspring shall all, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. There's that reiteration. Because you have obeyed my voice. So there, there you have the Zechariah proclaiming the precision of God. He said the Messiah would come, he would go through the line of David, and he'd be Jewish. He'd be of Abraham through the line of David. And he is just beside himself, filled with the Spirit. But then he's not done. There was the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. But here in verse 76, we see the new covenant. And he said, and you, child, maybe holding John the Baptist right at this very moment. And he's looking at him. And he says, and you, child, will become the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He knew who Jesus was. And he says to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So, so he knows the, the Messiah is coming to give knowledge of salvation, forgiveness of their sins. And he says, this is mercy that's coming. Mercy from our God. We don't deserve this, but God is a merciful. He's a just God, and he must punish sin, but he's a merciful God. And Zechariah says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And that is a, that is a, 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 a rewording of Malachi 4, 1 and 2, where it says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, it says, the son of righteousness shall rise 
with healing in its wings, you shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. No wonder he's excited. And then he ends in verse 79. He says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide their feet into the way of peace. This is the precision of God here. This is, this is not plan B, as I read on a Facebook post a few months ago. Someone quoted an Old Testament passage about God, you know, destroying. I, can't, I don't even remember the passage, but they're like, well, why would God do that? And then someone who supposedly talking for God says, oh, well, you know, that was the Old Testament and, and that's not Jesus. You know, Jesus is the New Testament. And, you know, the, God was trying things in the Old Testament to work out, so, he, so then he tried Jesus. That is hogwash. That was on Facebook. We're a plethora of, of theologians. Jesus isn't plan B. Jesus is plan A. From the foundation of the world, this has been the plan. And we're part of it. If you fear God, if you've repented of your sin, if you've placed your faith not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus on the cross who paid a sin debt that he did not owe, that we owed. He paid our debt. And all we have to do is repent and trust in him. That's why Zechariah is praising. It's here, he says. It's here. The promise is here. Right on time, just like he said it would happen. So we see the witness of God. When someone speaks revelation, when someone says, God told me, God said this to me. I'm like, how did he say it to you? Because if you're saying you got it in your mind, then I, uh, before I believe what you say, I'd like, to, I'd like us to drive down to Wolfson's Children's Hospital, and I'd like to see some healing start. Then maybe I might believe you. Probably not, but maybe I might. Because I keep thinking about those lying signs and wonders that are coming. But anyway... But the witness of God, God, when men speak new revelation, God bears witness of them. And then there's the precision of God. When God speaks, he's always right. He's not like the prophets we see on TV who are right about 20% of the time, which means they're like a clock. You know, the clock is, broken clock's right twice in every day, right? So, no, God is precise. He's direct, and what he says comes true. And if someone speaks for, says they speak for God and what they say doesn't come true, they're not from God. Amen? And then the last thing here I want to show you is just the preparation of God, and this, this will be short. It says in verse 80, The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
And it reminds me, Moses, remember God telling Moses, go to the children of Israel. Go to the children of Israel. And Moses is like, okay, you're going to give me the signs, but I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not eloquent in speech. You know, I, I, I'm slow of speech and, and tongue, and, and, and the Lord says to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing? Or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now therefore I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in my mouth, in his mouth, that is, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be and be your mouth and you shall be as God to him, he says. So what did God do? God prepared. God made a way. So the question is, is what about us? How do... Can people speak for God today? That's really the question. Can people speak for God today? Do we speak for God? And the answer is yes. The question is, is how? How do we speak? Well, we saw the witness of God. And God will bear witness to people about us. In this way, in Romans 5, 5, the Bible says that God's love has been poured out into the hearts, into our hearts. He's talking to Christians. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if we have the Holy Spirit in us, that spirit produces fruit, Galatians chapter 5. And the first of those fruit is love. It's not the only fruit you get but it's the first fruit listed. And Jesus tells us, tells his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How does God witness? How is God, how, why, are, why would people listen to you today if you have love for one another? And I'm not talking, I'm not talking just any kind of love. This is the love that Jesus commanded, love I want you to love, not just love your neighbor as you love yourself, but love as I have loved you, Jesus says. It was a sacrificial love. So you want people to listen to you when you purportedly speak for God? Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then when you speak, speak with precision. How do you do that? Well, Hebrews 1-2 says that in the last days... Jesus, uh, uh, God has spoken to us by his son, by his son. And in 1 John chapter 1, we read in the first three verses that it was, it was the disciples that were the witnesses to Jesus. They're the ones that, that touched him. They're the ones that heard his message. And it says that they now proclaim this to us. And how they do it? They wrote it down. So when you speak for God... It better be coming from here. 
It better be coming from here. Speak with precision. Speak what God says. Not what you think he says. Speak what he says. And then God... Then we see the last thing, the preparation. And I, that can come in many different ways. And I want to I share with you something that happened this past week. Because God will prepare you in many ways. When my boy was still living at home and a teenager, for some reason he had trouble connecting with friends and got very lonely and it was a very hard time for us. He was so lonely. He just couldn't seem to connect at church and wherever. And we had many, many long rides, very sad time. But last week I got a text from him and I asked if I could share this He's now in the Air Force. He's actually stationed at an Air Force base. And uh, he lives in the dorm. And in the dorm, they have their own rooms, but they share a bathroom. So two dorms, two men will share a bathroom. And he texts me and he says, Dad, my new bathroom mate seems like he really wants a friend. And he says, pray that I have patience and a gentle heart to be friends with him. He's different than me by a margin, he says. I want to do the right thing and be friends, even if he is weird to me. And then later on, he said, uh, this is probably a day or two later, he says, pray for my neighbor. He came over and asked to hang out because... He said he was lonely. And so we traded Pokemon cards and talked, and he said people at his shop weren't being all too nice to him at all. And my boy said, makes me feel for him because I know how that feels. And he says, God's blessed me now with the place I'm in now. If, you know, I'm in a good place. I've got friends at work, and people are supportive. Then he said this, he says, Dad, you know how you used to say to me when we were going through that, that this is happening because God is going to use you in the future? He says, I think this is one of those moments. And I want you to, I want you to think about this. No matter what you're going through, what it is, God knows where you are. God can still use you, but God, and God, he causes the moot and the death and the blind. Nothing happens that God doesn't ordain to happen. And he uses the bad things for his glory in the future. So let's be a witness. Let's, let's speak for God. Let God witness, bear witness to us by the way we love one another. Let's speak with precision from his word. And let him prepare us for what he's going to use us for. Amen? Lord, thank you for this time.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for hoping in our eyes. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you will make us light and darkness. In Jesus' name.